episode 146 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Everything's got to be a fight for some people. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. Welcome to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. I'm Chris Hahn, at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. Thank you for subscribing, liking, rating, reviewing, all those great things for this podcast, keeping us going. Really do appreciate it. Hope you all had a great Super Bowl weekend and a Valentine's Day. I am recording this uh, actually earlier on Monday than I normally do because I'm going out to dinner with my wife tonight. Lovely restaurant uh, in our community that we go to uh, quite often on Valentine's Day. So we are excited about that. So I just wanted to uh, wish everybody a happy Valentine's Day. Hope you uh, spent it with people you loved and cared about. But I want to start off by just talking about uh, the Super Bowl and halftime show, uh, which really drove conservatives batty. I, I guess uh, they only want black people on the field, you know, giving each other concussions. They don't want to see them performing uh, music and hip hop and rap. I, I actually thought it was great. I'm a huge uh, fan of Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg, and Eminem is one of my favorite people. I, the way I am, I want to be my theme song, but I couldn't afford the rights. Um, it's it's a uh, uh, amazing to me, though, that so many people on the right took to social media after the game just blasting it. You know, Charlie Kirk calling it sexual chaos. Now, I guess sexual chaos would be a great name for a band or, or a porn or maybe a rom-com. Uh, but I, I, I don't, I fail to, I fail to see where that kind of happened at the Super Bowl. I, I thought it was a great celebration of rap and hip hop with one of the greats of all time, you know, basically showcasing uh, many of the acts that he developed, discovered and developed. Uh, you know, I mean, we all take for granted how influential, we don't even recognize how influential Dr. Dre uh, has been in his career since starting with NWA, the really breakout, um, you know, uh, rap group from the uh, late '80s, early '90s, uh, to today, uh, the many artists that he's worked with in rap and in hip hop and in other uh, genre. I mean, Nine Inch Nails was a collaboration between Dr. Dre, Jimmy Iovine, and Trent Reznor. Uh, it's it's amazing. I, I, people need to watch this documentary that HBO did a couple years ago um, that featured Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine's partnership, which I thought was uh, amazing. But, you know, I, I, I it, politically speaking, I, I don't understand why some people need to make a big deal about everything. They can't just have a day where they forget about politics and just try to be an American and just be happy and try to forget that they have social media. Right, right as the Super Bowl was starting... I, I tweeted out PAX Super Bowl, like, you know, just to play on PAX Olympia, which is the uh, piece of the Olympics that, that's supposed to happen and may not happen because of Putin right now, but I doubt he's going to break it. Believe it, please. I hear it every day in the news that Putin's going in, and I'm going to, I have a great guest coming up, Katrina Vanden Heuvel from The Nation. She's the, uh, the, the publisher of, of The Nation, which is, you know, I have a lot of guests from The Nation on my show, and uh, I've always wanted to have Katrina, and, and she, has really been paying attention to the situation in the Ukraine. So we're going to talk a little bit about that later. But I tried to have a piece, you know, amongst us, you know, us here in the U.S., us pundits, us Twitter files, us social media types. Uh, let's not talk about it. And I just didn't even look at it. 
until uh, this morning, Monday morning. And uh, I see all this this commotion about the halftime show, which, oh, Eminem took a knee. How dare he? Oh, how dare he take a knee? You know, let's just have uh, truckers uh, burning the American flag. And, oh, let's desecrate the American flag by putting Trump's picture on it. But, you know, Eminem taking the knee, you know, in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick and others who have fought against, uh, you know, police abuse of African-Americans. Give me a break. They're all losing their head over it. They're not really. Let, let me be clear. They're not really losing their head over it. They just couldn't couldn't stand that for you know four hours last night nobody was paying attention to them, right? For four hours last night nobody cared who Charlie Kirk was, right? I I don't care who Charlie Kirk is now, and I've been on TV with him dozens of times. I don't care who he is. He's he's a guy who who fakes his own or fakes protests against himself. That's who Charlie Kirk is. If you really want to know who Charlie Kirk is, that's who he is. But for a couple of hours last night, we were all focused on, on a football game, on a very good football game, I might add. It was a well-played game. It was a close game. There was a lot of action, and it came down to the last minute and a half of the game. So, um, you know, we, nobody was paying attention to the chattering class, including me. I, I'm a member of the chattering class. I wasn't paying attention to the chattering class. I did a radio show. I do my radio show on Sunday in New York on WABC, which is now syndicated nationwide. Hopefully you're catching it where you are. Um, I got off the air at five o'clock. I was in my car. I parked really close to the station, got a great spot. Uh, I was in my car at five Oh five and I was home at six 28 sat in front of my television set and did not move until the end of that game. I, I got up to pee. Maybe, uh, I made some popcorn. That's it. I usually have a Super Bowl party, but, uh, we decided this year not to have one, uh, because of COVID mostly. And, you know, this, this radio gig is. Sunday nights and would have been difficult. But uh, nobody was paying attention to the chattering class, so they had to insert themselves into it. They can't just enjoy the game. Enjoy it. Enjoy the rap performances. I, I mean, we all love Snoop. Who, you know, you could pretend you don't like Snoop. You could say, oh, there's this lawsuit against him. I don't... Look, I, 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 if, if what they say about him is true in this lawsuit, then, you know... Forget it. I, I won't. I won't talk about him again. But he's been sued a lot. A lot of people say a lot of things about him over the years, and nothing ever seems to happen. So I, you know, I, I find him to be a very entertaining guy, and I enjoy watching him rap. I enjoy listening to him to talk. I, I enjoy his programs. I, I even like his commercials. He seems like a really peaceful guy. So you know, you know, I'm sure people will take it, take offense to that, but I, I don't care, frankly. I just think that we all need to take a step back and breathe all the time, right? We all need to find time every day to not care about policy, or at least once a week. So don't drag politics into the Super Bowl. Why? Because somebody's taking a knee. Yeah, that's his opportunity to stand in solidarity. Give me a break. You know, you have have a hard time with with that, but you're not, you know, lashing out against people who use an American flag to beat a cop on January 6, 2001, where 2021, where were you then? Where were you then? Where are you talk you, you want to talk about disrespecting the American flag? Uh, I saw a lot of desecrations of the flag during the Trump years, particularly people putting his picture on it. Uh, I'm sorry, that's not in line with the American Legion flag protocol manual. 
I'm sure, I'm sure it's not. I'm sure the flag that has, uh, instead of stars and stripes, have guns and bullets. Oh, we've been seeing those on the backs of some trucks lately. You know, I'm, I'm sure that that American flag desecration doesn't bother you, but you're really concerned. And by the way, the, the, the anthem wasn't happening when uh, Eminem kneeled in solidarity. Um, Dr. Trey was playing the piano and that would have been, that was okay. So, you know, back off, uh, you whiny little babies and don't make everything about politics, but really what it is, you know, they're not really making it about politics. They're making it about them. They can't stand not being in the spotlight, not being talked about, not being paid. All of their followers weren't paying attention to them for five hours yesterday. They were watching the Super Bowl. And then I watched the mono Bob. by the way. I watched a Canadian win gold for the United States uh, in the mono Bob, the women's mono Bob, uh, First time ever contested at the Olympics. Uh, America took gold and silver. So... Uh, I enjoyed myself and I didn't think about politics. I didn't even look at my Twitter account until this morning. And when I did, there it was. People pissed about the halftime show. Well, screw you. I'm glad it ruined your night. It didn't ruin mine. All right, I've got a great guest. We're going to talk about Ukraine. We're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about a lot of things. Uh, stick around and I'll be back to wrap up the show. Joining me now, Katrina Van Heuvel is the publisher of The Nation, a magazine we've had many guests on this show for. Katrina, how you doing? Hanging in there. How are you, Chris? I, I am doing great, but uh, like you, I am incredibly concerned about what's going on in Eastern Europe and Ukraine and the Russians appearing to escalate on a daily basis. Right. Uh, I know you've followed this. You've written about it in the Washington Post. Um, how does this end? It's a very good question, Chris. First of all, um, you know, I think we need to do everything possible to avoid an enormously destructive war in Ukraine and that part of the world. I think there is, if there's any glimmer, it's that it's energized diplomacy. And I think that that's, there's no military solution. There's, it's, this has become um, a proxy war. It was a civil war. It's become a proxy war. It's a geopolitical proxy war now. And you've got two nuclear armed powers. Um, this is no brief for Putin. He's under, by the way, uh, it was interesting. I follow Russian media and I think it was a day ago leading general and um, some other generals and high up in the military uh, published a letter, don't go to war. Hmm. And there have been some other, more typical in the sense of the Russian intellectual class, all power to them, but the military letter was really a kind of... They were acting generals or former generals? Retired. Got it. But with, you know, the, they have enormous contacts, as do our retired of generals. Of course, of I mean, course. they don't speak just for themselves. So right. I thought that... But there is a way forward, and, you know, if there's anything, again, that glimmer is that and diplomacy's been energized, there is a process, some of your listeners may have heard of it, this Minsk Accord, which, you know, passed and approved by the UN and um, another security organization in 2015. It didn't last, but it's Ukraine, Russia, the leaders, and France and Germany. They met about two weeks ago in Paris for eight hours, and this group is meeting in Berlin, February 10th. Hmm. And the idea of it, I mean, it's tough. You could have an agreement, which I think would be important, that Ukraine moratorium on NATO for 10, 15 years, that Ukraine's borders are sovereign, uh, independent country, that the East 
has English, Russian-speaking rights, but it is independent and uh, sovereign Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's in that um, a possibility, a way forward. So we'll see how the diplomacy, it's the only way forward. And I know this, we have a hard time with diplomacy, our, you know, our media, yep. because it's hard to, you know, you want footage. And there's an impatience which is needed to begin arms control talks again, which is needed to kind of talk through and work through. I take solace from this general's letter. I take solace that time has elapsed yep. and that we haven't seen. What worries me, Chris, and I'll stop, is not the Munich analogy, you know, talk about appeasement. I have no brief for Putin, but it's not that. What worries me is more World War One, the stumble, the accidental calculation yeah. in the war, right? Yeah. We've sent troops. There are troops of different NATO, U.S. that have been sent to Eastern Europe. That worries me less because I see it as a leverage point with Putin right. than the weapons over $3 billion which have been sent to Ukraine, and advisors, yeah. U.S. advisors. There's even like 300 National Guard from Florida. Mm. So that's what that's what I think we need to avert. Yeah, I, I'm concerned about that as well. And I, I see this massive buildup. I'm watching the footage. I see President Biden last week. I don't know if it was Monday or last week. The days are all the same to me when he's sitting there with the German chancellor. And he says, yeah, we'll take out that pipe. I mean, to me, it sounded like he said, no, that pipeline's not going to exist anymore if you go across that border, which would be a, a, a an escalation, if you ask me. Uh, that would be an escalation. But, I mean, the, the, the uh, pipeline, right, in Germany, I mean, that's a whole different issue in some ways because we haven't talked about sanctions, right? Right. There's talk of punitive, draconian. and But within Germany, by the way, there's a fight about that pipeline because there's a Green Party now ascendant, the foreign minister is a member of the Green Party. That pipeline isn't approved till July by regulatory codes, I think, in Germany. Right. Anyway, but the France is interesting because I've never been a huge fan of uh, Macron, except for his marital situation. Don't even ask me. But, yeah. um, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, He's yeah, married to right. a much older woman who was also right, his I, teacher. I, I think that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. but I, uh, Look, I think it's wonderful that he's married to a much older woman, but I'm well, a little concerned that it was her teacher. <laughs> No, but he wants to be Charles de Gaulle. If your listeners, Charles de Gaulle was very independent. He kicked NATO out of France in 1966 because the U.S. wouldn't share nuclear codes with right. France. Anyway, I mean that to have an independent Europe is not unhealthy in my view. I mean, there's a lot of talk about the breakup of the European alliance. There's also a new leader in Ukraine. Unlike 2015, the leader was a chocolate oligarch then. Right. Now the leader is a former comedian. Yeah who played president in a famous uh, TV series. But he, I don't know if he's his own man, because there are a lot of forces around him, including very nationalist extremist forces. But he doesn't want war. He said the other day, all this talk of imminent war in Washington is dampening, hurting the Ukrainian economy. Yeah. So there are a lot of forces. It's complicated. There's a history, which I won't go into. NATO is a big part of that history. NATO is not a coffee clutch founded in 1949, and the Warsaw Pact collapsed, as the Soviet Union did, there was a lot of uh, debate and fight and fire around NATO expansion in this country. But the biggest part was when it expanded to Russia's borders. Mm. Um, It was supposed to just stay in Berlin. So it's now on the borders of Russia. And it's not just NATO. It's a whole security 
framework that I think is at stake here in possibly a good way. But you're a, you're a student of Russia. You understand what's going on there. What I don't get, it appears yeah. to me that there's a very small group of people around Putin who are super rich, the oligarch class right. there. And most of them have assets in the West. They have assets in the United States. They have assets in, throughout Western Europe. Wouldn't this be incredibly difficult for them? And shouldn't they be putting the pressure on Putin to back off? That's an interesting point. I think there probably are some oligarchs who, for the sake of their own riches and treasure and security, uh, financial, uh, they don't, you know, but there are oligarchs in Ukraine, too. But it, let me put it this way. It, we have, in this country, basically made Russia Putin. Yeah. There is a, it's a big country. Yeah. And you can't study Russia today without the ascendance of the Rus- Russian Orthodox Church. Right. But if you do, there's an independent pollster, you know, as independent as pollsters are in Russia. Polling shows a lot of Russians r- respect um, Russia having a bigger place on the world scene. They want respect. They're not, they're worried about NATO. Right. So the idea that Putin is alone in his feelings about NATO is crazy because right. he has his own blob. Yeltsin, who is a different kind of leader, was also opposed to NATO. This is across the Russian population and elite class as well. Well, I thought Yeltsin actually suggested Russia join NATO at one well, point. Well, there was an offer, right. but then it wasn't possible, um, and Russia wasn't accepted. I mean, there was a whole interlude right. where they were a consultative partner. But in essence, NATO's gone its own way. But the idea that Putin is alone in his views about Russia's world stage, yeah. what it's doing on the world stage, is is folly because um, it's um, it's this is a view across Russia. Now, people don't want war. People feel there's repression in Russia due to Putin's actions against independent media and nonprofit groups, but. NATO isn't allying or unifying them. And by the way, this is not like Crimea in 2014. Right. This is. At, I talked to Russian friends who are there. The TV is not propaganda. It's not militaristic. It's not mobilizing people. The media is full of COVID, mm. full of uh, issues like pension cuts. Yeah. And I don't. I think Putin and his team need to probably well understand they're not going to get the popularity boost that they did. They did in 2014. So there's a, an attempt to avert war, but also to say, you know, we're here, we want to be respected, and enough, NATO expansion, yeah. standing up. But there doesn't no even... the weak Russia. But Ukraine is not imminently joining NATO anyway, so it's kind of that, a bit of... That's what's delusional, and I write, according to NATO's own charter, Ukraine couldn't be admitted because of the territorial issues. Right. Being alive. <laughs> I know. But, you know, in the same way, I think former... Very different, very, I think, extraordinary leader, Gorbachev. I mean, Star Wars wasn't going to work, but right. so much was staked on Star Wars that you didn't have arms control progress as you might have. It was, so it there was, was a delusional quality there, too. It, it became a proxy. Exactly. Katrina, so, you know, the way this is impacting Biden is interesting. You know, in the old days, when there was a foreign crisis going right. on, everybody would ravel, you know, rally around the president. It doesn't seem to be happening right now. You know, that's a very good point. Um, we've just exited from Afghanistan. I mean, there isn't much hunger in this country. I don't want to speak for the country. I don't like people who do that. But I do think there is a disconnect between the elite establishment foreign policy 
quote, blob um, in Washington and much of the country, which I wouldn't say is isolationist, but is fed up with endless war. And, you know, someone said the other day, what is the reason for, you know, what is our vital national security interest in Ukraine? And it's a deeply asymmetrical issue in that way, because for Russia, it's right there. It's neighboring country intermarriages. Someone said, well, we have to fight for NATO. Mm. Now, can you imagine telling a mother, father, your, your son or daughter has to go fight for NATO? Well, especially no. since they're not even in NATO. <laughs> you know, if they, attra- if they attach, attack Latvia or Poland know, or, right. you know, or Estonia, I guess we're going to go. But, you but I do think, I do think, um, I think, you know, we leave Afghanistan. We got sanctions on that country in order to fight the Taliban moving forward. That war cost about five point six trillion dollars. Yeah. Think of think, and and we can't even pony up for five billion for humanitarian catastrophe. Mm. But putting that aside, think of the resources, the trillions that will go to fighting that are needed for pandemic. Yep. Fighting that are needed for climate, the existential crisis of our time, for global inequality, for racial division, for healing racial division. So I just I think Biden is. M- to use a Bushian term, mis under mis overestimating this idea that a country rallies together or yeah. war. Well, especially when there's such a, a looming threat with with this conflict. I mean, Russia is a nuclear power. Russia is a nuclear power, and attention should be paid, as it was in the first summit between Biden and Putin in July, I think, to restoring an arms control framework that has been unraveled largely yeah. by. Republicans. Now, I mean, he could come out of this, you know, assuming that this I, look, I don't believe that Putin's invading Ukraine. Um, and I believe something will be given to him. I know you you uh, uh, were promoting a piece about give the guy a ladder so he could climb down off right, the wall. Right. Um, you know, and I believe that's going to come because nobody the cost of a war, oh, the cost of war. Just yeah. Could catastrophic this war particularly would be right. with ex- the nuclear yeah. possibility. Yeah, it would be it would be it would be damning. Um, but but it's the other thing that is striking. We were going to do the pivot to China. What happened to that, right? Yeah. I mean, China was going to be, you know, I think how you work and engage with China is a whole, well, it's a similar issue in some ways, but Taiwan's in the crosshair yep. of China. So, but, you know, there's something called a national security strategy that came out, I think, a year ago. And it's Biden's. But it says clearly we're going to downgrade counterinsurgency and we're going to upgrade to challenges, threats, Hmm. Russia and China. And I don't want to be reductive about this, but on some level, you can never forget that, you know, the big weapons companies, and they're like four or five of them, there should be antitrust action. You've got big weapon systems going with Russia and China. You don't with counterinsurgency. But what, I mean, as again, I come back to the crises of our time. Biden comes in wanting to renew this country. I personally think we need to get our own house in order before we go out to the to the world, which again is an isolationist, and I'm not a pacifist, but it it's about priority. I, I'm more of a I'm more of a don't go to war no matter what kind of person, and particularly when we talk about China, you know, it's kind of hard for me to wrap my head around a war or even China even as an mm-hmm. adversary, since we're by, you know I'm sitting here no, looking at my iPhone, which was made there. Thank you. You know, and it's like, you know, what is China? And, and in China's world, what do they want to be? Do they want to be threatening Taiwan or do they want to sell iPhones? They've got to make up their mind, yeah. right? I mean, we as Americans got to say, you know what? We're not going to allow these iPhones to come in from a country that's going to be bombing one of our allies that's no, been our ally right. forever. 
But the other thing that's scary, I will say, Chris, is, you know, there's an anti-Chinese um, attitude in this country right now. We've seen violence toward Asian Americans, yep. Chinese Americans, and you can't stop bringing what they, you people hear, um, not on your radio show, but what people hear on radio, making enemies. Oh, I know. Demonizing. And I know. when you demonize, it's easier to go into conflict. So. Well, that's part of, you know, and I want to pivot to this, and, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit on this segment, then, and we'll wrap it up on the next one. But, you know, that's part of the problem in America right now. We're, like, demonizing yeah. everybody who doesn't agree with us. Everybody who doesn't even, we demonize China, for sure. It seems like both parties are doing a good job of that. But then the parties are demonizing each other. Oh, my. Uh, to I an ex- know. You know, I, look, I've been appearing on Fox News since 2010. And in 2010, people recognize me from Fox News. They'd give me a hug. They'd want right. to take a picture with me. they say, hey, I don't agree with you, but you seem like a good guy. Uh-huh. Now they, they look at me from across the room like they want to kill me. Yeah. No, it's, it, it, it's escalated. Yeah. I mean, w- when you use that word, it's usually military. But there's an escalation of vitriol, of anger, of demonization that... Um, you know, because I do think there's, we're living in really complex times, yep. and complexity, you know, the simpl- some of the simplistic stuff that comes down, uh, now not all of it, some of it is about values and principle, and there's a clarity, but the ability to talk to people is not to condone, but to understand and then find your way forward. But you're, that's an interesting story about Fox, it's yeah. true, it's be- and also it became allied, it became a kind of... I, want, I don't want to demean, demean the word movement, but it became kind of an appendage to yeah. a White House. Yeah, which, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, others. I mean, the problem is we're, there's sometimes a feeling Trump was in the sandbox, though I love the letter to the editor in some paper where someone said Trump was a child and someone wrote in and said, how dare you demean children? Yeah, Katrina. Yes. I, so, you know, just talking about this political you know, environment we're in right now. You, you, you know, we're seeing the stories this week about Trump, you know, shredding documents, eating documents, flushing them down the toilet. You know, the, the oh, but her emails crowd is silent on it. They're like, ah, yeah. you know, he was president. Who cares? It's not like he was... He, brings, he was bringing files class. I mean, there is an over-classification problem in this country, but put that aside. Trump yep. was bringing classified files home, yeah. home being Mar-a-Lago, and he kept kept piling them up, it seems. They kept, and then he's chewing them, and then he's throwing them out, but he's accruing them, too. Right, right, uh, right. But where's the, ju- you know, I, where's the Justice Department? It's, uh, it's a question that's been ricocheting around. Right. And you got January 6th hearings, which I w- wish could get more attention. I mean, they do, but, you know, someone said a few months ago it's going to be like Watergate. The media configuration just doesn't allow that, though they're all different points. Yeah. Of no, I mean, you, you think that Fox News is going to carry the hearings uh-huh. live? No, of course not. It, it's, you know, look, there are going to be live hearings with people right. uh, very soon, and I think they'll get a lot more attention than what they've been getting right now. And the Justice Department, I'm a lawyer, I mean, it, it takes time to build a case. Okay, yeah, no, that's true. And, and you get the lower people first, and you saw them doing that with the people oh, they arrested. like a, you know— yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's like a mob. Look, Trump was like a mobster. Uh, you know, I, there's no other way to look at it. There were there were foot soldiers who were all arrested earlier, early in 2021. Now you've got the Proud Boys people going to jail. You know, yeah. get ready. I mean, I, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, Elmer, what's his last name? Rhodes, the third is not going to spend a lot of time in jail for Trump. He's going to flip. Trust me. <laughs> you know, it's um, you're an attorney. Um, my daughter's involved with criminal justice law, but the D.C. 
jail. I don't know if you remember this. They put the uh, insurrectionists in in there, and they complained about the conditions, and yeah. that was moved on real quickly. Yeah. Um, so I'm just saying it's there is this kind of special treatment. You I know, also don't like that they're putting them all in the same segment and calling it the Patriot Wing. I mean, give me a is break. That right? Yeah. I want to just, this is my peeve. Um, you remember the shaman guy who can forget? Yep. I, so, you know, people go on about the liberal progressives as shabbly drinking, this and that. So I just remember that day after the gen, after January 6th, he's in jail and his mother comes and says, my son needs vegan food. Yeah. Uh, no, no. I mean, it's okay. She's mother love. But it's like, if that was someone of a liberal progressive persuasion, right. this would be blasted all over as a measure of the wuss. Yep. Now, I don't mean to be mean to vegans, but this guy... <laughs> By the way, that's where I got the aggressive progressive title from. Right? I'm not like the furthest left person. I'm the the aggressive. I'm the the progressive that Fox News people would call on when they wanted yeah. somebody to get into a fight with. <laughs> you no, know? it's you know it's a, a serious issue. I remember um, when John Kerry ran for president. I think he's been a, was a very good Secretary of State. Yeah, me too. Climate um, coordinate, but um, people would say you know at that time and in other times that progressives or liberals. Don't take their own side in the fight. You know, and this, I, you know, don't take their own side. Right. Don't fight tough enough. And I was reminded of this. You'll think I'm crazy, but I was watching last night the Florida selection of the president. Miami, you know, Dade County, 2000. Oh, And when someone once said to me, when they saw Warren Christopher, the secretary of state under President Carter, arrive and then saw James Baker arrive... They knew who was going to win that fight. Mm, mm. I mean, Baker came with a shiv, and Christopher came with a very intellectual, decent set of values, rule of law, which is not to put those aside, but I do think there is an element of fighting for one side that uh, needs to be understood in the sake of values and principles and clarity and persistence. Well, that's why, by the way, that's why I encourage all Democrats to go on Fox News. Fight. They learn. Well, yeah. you you need those skills. <laughs> yeah. Not always, but if you care about, you know, if you if you have strong beliefs, um, and I will say that what we're talking about right now on Russia, you know, a lot of people in this country who had different views, who have different views on Russia, have been, you know, stigmatized. And I think that's dangerous because I think you want to hear a range of views. And we haven't had a real debate in this country about U.S.-Russian relations. Now, some of that is because the demonization of Putin, which, you know, no brief. I've worked with independent media, feminist groups, Memorial Memorial Human Rights Group in Russia. But the demonization of Putin, I think, is uh, an alibi for not having a policy. Right. Uh, You know, it's not. Well, that's the policy for demonizing anything, demonizing drugs, demonizing, you know, potholes, whatever it is. You'll you'll call it out as the devil, but you won't do anything about it. And you sound tough. I mean, it, the home. Oh, the war on poverty. Okay, we're gonna have a war on poverty. Why don't we just solve poverty? <laughs> well, I will say just as we close. I mean, heading to twenty twenty two, you know, Biden, the American Relief Act did cut poverty by forty percent. Yeah, it has not continued. And in addition, you know, the Build Back Better was designed if there could have been a media that didn't do numbers all the day, all the time, how much it costs, yeah. tax and spend, which it, you look at other budgets. But it really was designed to improve the condition of working people's lives, of lives. And that through line 
got so bumped around, not just because of, you know, mansion and cinema, but the media... Oh, the media made it impossible. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're talking yeah. about the 10-year price tag, first of all. They're not talking about the right. one-year price tag. Exactly. Only. And everybody thinks it's a one-year price tag, which, which was completely disingenuous. And here's the problem, though. We don't know. Democrats, progressives, we don't know how to argue. We don't know how to stay, say that immediately, like to go on with Chuck Todd and say, no, Chuck, that is not what's going on. Well, I'm sorry. When I go on with Laura Ingram and she would say something uh, like that, I'd call her out for it. No, that's good. You I know, mean, I, just, I think often the parameters of debate on those Sunday talk shows, you, you know, Bernie's on there, Sanders is on there a lot. But, you know, he's has people know what he's going to say. And thank God he right. says it. But then you got all these others, and you sometimes don't need an anchor because the anchor, the questions they ask are so leading on right. to like too high deficits, uh, inflation is due to the you know build back better. I mean, there's a parameter of questioning. Well, that's that you know the problem is is that, that it's it's, enter- it's entertainment, right? We we've we've long or long past news on television, right? Most television journalism you get away from you know pbs is the exception bbc things like that but if you're watching anything at a prime time hour if you're watching the sunday morning shows they're all competing for a smaller yeah. smaller audience i think there's an ideology but i also think totally there's an entertainment i mean there's the famous i think george carlin the great comedian story which he would do like uh you know nuclear war after the sports i mean, yeah. i've been watching i've been watching i don't know some entertainment on cnn and the caption is, you know, 3,000 troops sent to Eastern Europe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like inverted inverted I, values. I have this conversation about Chris Cuomo. They're like, oh, Chris Cuomo oh. got fired because he helped his brother. He didn't get fired because he helped his brother. No. He got fired because women stopped watching his show because he helped or his he brother. Got, you know, he got right. pulled out too. Yeah. And in the same way, what's happening at CNN. No, these news operations, Some there's some good... Stuff. I mean, I hired Chris Hayes when he was 28 to be Washington editor of the nation. He is forced into a cycle every night, but I think he does good stuff. But it's very hard. These news organizations are cogs in corporate yeah. structures. Yeah, I think and Ari Melber's great. Great. He, yeah, he was at the nation. He's yep. great. I think he's great. I think Chris Hayes is great. But Chris Hayes is becoming more entertainment, too. But he's, look, he's the 8 o'clock anchor. I don't know. On, he knew that. <laughs> right. I mean, his, his graduate. <laughs> when he was doing Sunday mornings on MSNBC, it was a little different. He's doing 8 p.m. now, Monday he through knew Friday. That. And right. he knew he would have to fall into a cycle. He does what he can. But the up with Chris was... You know, those were graduate seminars. They were awesome. I used to watch yeah. it every Sunday. I used to call my friend, uh, who, my, 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 my friend Ellie Mustel and say, get me on oh that show. <laughs> so good. You know, I mean, it, it's, it was a great show. It was well intellect, but that there's so little of that on television right now. It's, and, it's, you know, Moyers has stepped down. That was a different kind of show. Yeah. So there is a, you know, I think people are finding news in different ways. That's an obvious, you know, streaming. Uh, there are new new forms, podcasts. Yep. You know, Chris, Chris has a podcast. I mean, I love doing podcasts, yours. And Chris does a lot on his that yeah. he can't do on his. Well, I, it's, it, there's so much you could do, you know, on me, uh, you know, radio and on podcasts right. that you can't do on television because you have a longer time to do it. I mean, you have we just had a long 30-minute conversation on television. This would have been four minutes. I know. Right? And We've, I, I want to say that, you know, I think Fox is Fox is Fox, but I think a lot of stuff is going on in right-wing regional radio. Oh, and yeah. I'm, I'm not talking like Rush Limbaugh scope, but lo- like really local, regional. And uh, we're not hearing that. And that's... No. Good. 
important so, to so the in the, in the minute I have left with you, and I know this is a very yeah. short time, but this would be a lifetime on TV. Um, <laughs> it would be. <laughs> no, know. it would be a lifetime plus. Yes. <laughs> 2022, everybody's uh, calling doom and gloom on it. I think we're going to hold the Senate because I think the Supreme Court's going to make the supreme mistake of overturning Roe v. Wade. Um, you know, you follow this very closely at the, at the nation. You know, give me your, 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 your best thoughts on what do you think happens. Oh, boy. You know, midterm elections are what they call, you know, mobilization. Um, I think you're right about the court. I think that is going to mobilize and energize people. But there is, um, you know, what's going to be on offer, what will, what will go on. And, you know, the structure of our system, the gerrymandering has not been as bad as some thought, but the structure of the system is still tough. And you've got these not only voting suppression, but voting subversion. Yeah. But never say never. It's too early to say. It really is. It's yeah. too early. A day, you know, a week in politics is two months in I, I, life. I keep telling everybody, you know, it's... February. Give me a break. Yeah. No. You know, stop crying. I, you know, and, and, and get working. Uh, you know, are you going to give up now? I mean, can we get the right. 81 you know, million people who voted that's, two that's years ago out? Way, what that's what is desired on the parts of some that people become spectators, not participants. Right. So the balance between realism and despair is one to maintain because despair does immobilize. And I think, you know, we got to be realistic and cold-eyed, but not despairing. Well, this has been great, and it's been too short, uh, even though I had you you. for almost 30 minutes. Katrina Vanden, Cuba Reader in the Nation. She's at Katrina Nation on Twitter. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Chris. All right, hope you enjoyed Katrina Vanden Heuvel. Please read The Nation, first of all. If you're not reading it now, uh, read it. We've had many guests on from The Nation. That was the first time we've had its publisher, and she's fantastic. She's at Katrina Nation, as I just said in the interview, but at Katrina Nation on Twitter. So uh, before I go, lots of reports that my arch nemesis, Rudy Giuliani, will be testifying before the January 6th committee. I'll believe it when I see it. I think he might, and if he does testify, he's going to go there and make a circus out of the whole thing. So I am not going to hold my breath that this clown will come to that committee. And if he does come to that committee, his job as a clown is to turn it into a circus. Unless there's some falling out with the Donald that I don't know about, or if he thinks that by cooperating and telling the truth, um, he can get his son elected governor of the state of New York. A campaign, I understand he's running out of Florida. So good luck with that. Uh, my uh, my belief is this. I, the guy has a lot to gain by going to that committee and telling the truth. Well, let me speak directly to him. We had a lot of differences with this man when he was mayor of the city of New York. But during... 9-11, he did show leadership. And the city and the nation respected him for that. He has lost all of that respect over the last seven years or so because he's beclowned himself for Donald Trump. And if he wants to go back to having that legacy that I believe, you know, look, I believe that before this whole Trump stuff with him and you know before he became Trump's major surrogate and lawyer and everything else and 
tried to overthrow the election before all of that. This guy was loved in New York. Now, forget about his his run for president. I mean, it was a it was a laughing stock. Forget about some of the other stuff he's done in his post mayoral career, and forget, forget about ninety percent of his mayoralty, which I think was pretty bad, frankly. He benefited from a strong economy in New York. Don't don't get me wrong. Um, he he did some he did improve crime statistics in New York, but they, you know, let, let's be clear about one thing, and and that, that always gets overlooked. People want to talk about de Blasio, and I was no fan of de Blasio. But crime in New York on de Blasio's worst day was still lower than it was on Giuliani's best day. Sure, it did go up under de Blasio because it continued to drop like a rock under Bloomberg. And some of the tactics that were used by the NYPD under Bloomberg and Giuliani were not acceptable. And they were, quite frankly, discriminatory. But crime was still down under de Blasio compared to Giuliani. But we always forget that. Giuliani goes out there and talks about how de Blasio and the crime, crime, crime. Um, you were mayor for eight years and your crime statistics were worse. But besides that, New Yorkers remember him for what he did on 9-11. And that's the only thing most of us remember him for. Until now. Now we remember him as the guy who called me a moron on national television because I was asking him a question about something he had just said five minutes earlier. That's another thing. He's, guy's gonna, he's gonna testify. He can say one thing and then five minutes later be questioned about what he said and completely change his tone about it. Completely forget that he said it. That's the, if you watch that interview with Laura Ingram and, my, and, and myself and Rudy Giuliani, I was asking Rudy Giuliani a question about something he did in the segment that occurred just before I went on the air. And he forgot he said it. Or maybe he thought better of what he said and decided to say he didn't say it. But, you know, he forgets that these things are recorded, right? So I I don't have any high hopes that he's going to testify. But if he wants to try to salvage his reputation, he should come to that committee and tell the truth. Tell the truth that Donald Trump tried to overthrow an election, tried to turn this country into something that it has never been and never will be. Tell the truth. If that's really what you want to do, Mr. Mayor. I think, you know, you had a career that distinguished itself in in ways that were pretty good, even as a U.S. attorney, cleaning up uh, New York City from the mob. You did some good things. You want to be remembered as the clown who had the press conference at Four Seasons Total Landscaping? <laughs> I mean, is that who you want to be? The guy who had his hair dye sweating down his cheek? Or do you want to be the remembered of the guy who on January, excuse me, on September 11, 2001, led? Well, here's your chance to redeem yourself. like Kind of like Darth Vader, right? Darth Vader did a lot of horrible things. Horrible things. And I'm not saying Darth Vader should go to heaven. But in the end, after doing all those horrible things, Darth Vader killed the Emperor. Well, at least we thought he was killed until the last movie. In the end, Darth Vader did the right thing in the moment. Well, here's your chance, Darth Vader. Do the right thing in the moment. Slay the Emperor. Or the would-be Emperor, we should say in this case. Slam, tell the truth. 
It'd be really hard for America to ignore the truth if it's coming out of your mouth, Rudy. Now, I don't have any high hopes that he's going to do that. I just want to be very clear. I have no hope that he's going to do that. But, you know, maybe he listens to my podcast and he'll get some good ideas. So, we'll try. All right, America, I want to remind you now, as I always do, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there. And I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.